I don't care who's first or who last, but I know that y'all just better rock this at the drop of a dime, baby. This is a Joe Rock Cypher here on the Football Game Plan Podcast Network. I'm Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook. You can follow me on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. I'm joined by my fellow analysts, Chris James, Gene Clements, Teron Davenport, and Brandon Howard. You can follow Chris on Twitter at CJFlorida9, Gene at Gene Clements, Teron at T Davenport underscore NFL, and Brandon at B Howard underscore 81. Make sure to subscribe to the Football Game Plan Podcast on iTunes and leave us a five star rating. That's where you can find all of our many different shows. You can also find them archived on our website at footballgameplan.com slash podcast. And finally, don't forget to check out and subscribe to the Football Game Plan Network on YouTube, located at youtube.com slash footballgameplan. If you're not familiar to what a rap cipher is, it's a crowd that forms in freestyle raps as they pass the mic around. And you won't see that here. There won't be any rapping going on. We'll just pass the mic around and keep the football takes flowing. And we're kicking off our NFL team previews in the cypher. And in this episode, we'll take a look at the Cincinnati Bengals and some of our biggest questions heading into the 2017 season for Cincinnati. And Brandon, you kick this one off with your question. Yeah, I'm going to focus on uh, the, the 2017 draft a little bit and uh, the Bengals' first round pick. Um, what does the addition of wide receiver John Ross mean for the Bengals offense? I think that it's a massive upgrade for this offense. And let me tell you why. They already have a top five receiver on the offense, A.J. Green. What John Ross will do is allow A.J. Green to not get the same shell coverage that he gets way too often. He, he Almost every play has a corner and then a safety over the top, making sure that he, he doesn't make a spectacular play. You have to get that respect to John Ross. And one of the funny things is while he's, quote, unquote, built like a slot receiver, I even see him listed on different places as a slot receiver. This guy is an outside receiver. So if he's playing on the opposite side, either you're going to sit those guys high and they're going to run the ball down your throat, which I think is actually in some respects preferred by this offense, or you're going to have to pick your poison because you can't just, just have two safeties high the whole game against this team. And let's not forget, they did add some guys that I think are actually underrated. Kyrell Hamilton, if he makes this roster, will be a great addition and also Josh Malone, I like as a, as a uh, number four receiver. So John Ross allows this whole receiving core to fall in line where they really should be. I agree because you look at Tyler Boyd, who they drafted last year in the second round. He's the quintessential slot receiver or Z. I think he can play all three, but I think he's best suited inside as a slot or out as a Z. But if you're going to put John Ross on the outside, which I agree with, you have to put Boyd on the inside as a slot. And I don't know why Brendan LaFell is still holding up a jersey. I don't know how he's carved out this long of a career because he's probably the most average wide receiver in the game. But when you add a guy like John Ross, Chris nailed the points, I thought, perfectly because he's a guy that's going to take coverage away from A.J. Green, which will also take coverage away from those excellent tight ends that they have on the roster. They even drafted one in the seventh round that I like in Mason Shrek out of Buffalo. Uh, So that gives them three strong tight ends. And you also have the receiving core of, Boyd, 
Karel Hamilton, who tore up, who was the best receiver, quite honestly, at the East-West Shrine game. So this receiving core, to me, is probably the best in the AFC North, strictly off talent. So I think what John Ross is going to open up their playbook, open up their passing game, and ultimately make things open up even more for Jeremy Hill back there in the backfield. I'm going to keep this real short and sweet. I think that John Ross can have a Brandon Cooks-like effect for um, for Cincinnati. I think that that Ross brings some very similar elements um, as as Cooks. I think that, um, like everybody else illustrated, he he allows the other wide receivers to operate um, with a little bit more honesty from a defense. And, and because of that, it may not show up in his statistics, but he will, he will help everyone else have much better seasons than they had last year. When I look at this edition, uh, I, I'm gonna, it makes me think of a guy, not the same player, obviously, because John Ross is much more of a speed player, but it makes me think of a guy who shows that you could be a vertical threat without being the fastest guy on the field, and that's Marvin Jones. And you look at how three years, I think it was three years ago, you know, he had 10 touchdowns, you know, and, and he was pretty much eaten on, on the opposite side of uh, A.J. Green. And it, it wasn't as much pick your poison, but it was having a guy that could win those one-on-one matchups on the opposite side while a lot of the attention went to A.J. Green. So I think having a guy like John Ross in there and the speed that he brings, the the playmaking ability that he brings on the outside, that's going to open things up not only for A.J. Green, but you'll also be able to see Tyler Eifert uh, do some more things in, in the middle of the field as a pass catching tight end. Right. Uh, I agree with all of you. And uh, especially with what uh, Emery was saying, uh, Tyler Boyd is definitely your, your slot receiver uh, in this instance, um, because if you've got uh, John Ross on the opposite side uh, there on the outside, and then you've got AJ Green also on the outside there, um, you know, defense is going to have to be very, very honest about what they're doing. They're going to have to, you know, a lot of times keep, keep two safeties back. And then if they elect to try to play one safety high for some reason or another, um, you know, it, it's going to be six points. So, um, you know, either, you know, you, you have Jeremy Hill back there, you know, doing this thing when you've got two safeties high uh, or, or, you know, when you decide to put one back there, then, you know, John Ross or AJ Green, one of them is going to get loose. And you're going to have to pick your poison. And Brandon just asked a question about one of the additions on the offense, but I'd like to know with all the additions on this year's offense, do they vault into a top 10 uh, offense? I said it on draft night and just looking at it, even a couple of days later when they finalized a lot of their undrafted free agents, I would hate to be a defensive coordinator going against this offense because, number one, you got a tremendous tailback in Jeremy Hill. You have a matchup nightmare in Joe Mixon, who I think is more of a better receiving back as opposed to just a traditional running back. He's a bigger version of Gio Bernard. We just talked about the receiving core. They're deep as heck at the receiver spot. The tight end position is awesome. Um, I'm a big fan of their fullback, Darren Lufasa, out of UTEP. We we all watch Aaron Jones tape, and number 45 was out there clearing a lot of the holes for Aaron Jones. So top to bottom, and Ryan Hewitt is a really good H-back, pseudo fullback that they also have on the roster. So with Andy Dalton, we've seen him put up a lot of numbers. We've seen this offense do a, a lot of great things. Yes, they still have some questions at, on the offensive line, especially at center with Russell Bowden. I think that's a weak link of this offensive line. But overall, I think this offense is dynamic. I think it's probably on paper the best offense in the AFC North. 
And again, when you added John Ross and it slides everybody down, like Chris hit to their natural position, along with they have in the backfield with that depth, I, you know, I, I just think that this is a very tough offense to match up against, not just as far as execution-wise, but just trying to find enough able-bodied defenders to match up with what they can do. If they go three by one and one back in the backfield, you're in trouble. Do you have four defensive backs that can match up and counting a running back if they decide to put Joe Mixon in the backfield as opposed to Jeremy Hill? So how do you match up? I think this offense has the potential to be really good in 2017. I agree. I think it has top five potential. I think that it really, it's really going to come down to Andy Dalton. Can he be consistent enough um, with it, with the deep ball, consistent enough getting the ball, pushing the ball downfield to keep everybody honest on the defense? And if he does, it's going to – I mean, guys are just going to be running wide open underneath. Um, running lanes are going to be bigger. And, and I think that, that that's, that's a product of um, what a guy like John Ross brings to the table – um, as a receiver, what a guy like Joe Mixon brings to the table as a as a receiving back out of the backfield. And ultimately, that is why this team has top five potential as an offense. Yeah, I think this team could be a top 10 offense easily. And, and it's kind of like the Golden State Warriors situation where on any given day, a different guy could take over a game, whether it's A.J. Green, John Ross, Eifert, you know, Tyler Boyd, a guy I, I really liked coming out of pit. Uh, they have multiple players, and then when it's time to, you know, go shoot a shoe and run the football, they could do that with a bigger back in Jeremy Hill, and then you also have Mixon that you could run as well, you know. So they're a complete offense. They could beat you in multiple ways. So I definitely think that they're a top 10 uh, offense. Yeah, I, I definitely think the potential is there for them to be a top 10 defense. Um, but it, it's going to depend upon, you know, the trigger man, you know, um, is Andy Dalton going to be able to to get the football to everyone and, and be accurate, be decisive and, um, you know, and be and be that anticipatory thrower that we know that he can be. Um, so it's just about consistency from Andy Dalton. And if they're able to get that from him, there's no doubt that this is a, a top team, uh, top 10 uh, offense there with all the uh, the options that they have at receiver, because, um, you know, they're in my opinion, as far as the receiver position is concerned, um, they are, as far as their depth is concerned, they're, they're loaded. Uh, that, that's the best that the AFC East has to offer from top to bottom. And, you know, one of the things that we may forget is our North. <laughs> well, one of the things we may forget is that outside of Jeremy Hill and Tyler Boyd, really, every other guy who was on this offense last year missed three or more games. I mean, we forget that A.J. Green was out for an extended period of time that Tyler Eifert was out for an extended period of time. So they're tech and Gio Bernard, they're technically getting these guys back in the offensive fold with the guys that they drafted. So I, I think it's going to be very difficult to stop. And it's funny that Emory actually said something that I was thinking, you know, the flash is there in Pittsburgh, but if you really look at the pieces that they have, this might just be the best offense in the AFC North um, with what they have to offer, especially with a guy like John Ross coming in. I think defensively flipping the script is when you look at what they bring to the table. We know they have a very aggressive secondary. We know their defensive line gets a lot of pu a buzz with Geno Atkins, and we know they have one good linebacker in Vontez Perfect. Do you think they can get production from the rest of the guys at that second level to really transform this defense from good to great? Um, that's a great question, and 
I hate to be I hate to be a fence rider and things, but I have no clue. I mean, I I love Vontez Burfict's um passion. I mean, I don't even mind that he plays to the echo of the whistle um many times. I just don't know about the the other guys at linebacker. And so it to me, it's really going to come down to can Burfict be the anchor? And if he can hold his water, if he can be the the excellent player between the whistles that he can be and kind of, you know, ixnay a little bit of that of that extra that he's been known to do. I think that he can anchor um some guys that are probably a little bit more green. But um to say that the linebacking core as a whole is gonna gonna be able to hold up, I, I just don't know. Yeah, I agree. I think it is a bit of a mystery. You look at a couple guys like a PJ Dawson you know who who knows how he's going to work out you know playing playing alongside a, a perfect so that's the one that, that i look at um another guy emory we, we saw him and cj you saw him too down there at you know shrine week and hardy nickerson i think that's an interesting pick that they or, or acquisition that they made so we'll see i i just i mean at this point it's, it's so hard because i i don't i don't know how that that's going to turn out you know who's going to step up with ray maluga haven't been gone and, and some of the other guys that they lost. Yeah. And uh, the question that, you know, comes to mind when I think of the Bengals uh, linebacker corpse is um, I think of coverage, you know, who, who do they have back there that can, you know, when, when asked to, you know, take a running back away or, or to shadow a running back uh, or, or, you know, tight end down the seam, I, I don't see, uh, any of those guys there on the roster that can, on a consistent basis, uh, be able to play the man and play the ball. Um, yeah, I think they're lacking that one versatile piece, that one versatile athlete that can come down there and, and make plays in the passing game. And so I feel like in, with the Bengals uh, linebacker course, I, I feel like if you kind of get them, um, you know, if they're in their base, they're, they're susceptible to a lot of different things because they're linebackers. And I will say this, he is a really good player, borders on a great tackler, but I can't stand Vontez Perfect. <laughs> and the reason that I say it like that is because I think that he doesn't think past the next play for his own team. So I'm going to get off of that. We all know how good he can be. But the problem is what Brandon said. On this roster, they, they seem to have brought in the same linebacker. You know, they went and got the free agent Kevin Minter, and he plays the same way. They're big hitters. You're not going to get past them. You're going down when they get near them, but they can't cover to save their lives. That's just not what they do. The, the, the best coverage guy might be Hardy Nickerson Jr. who just came in. Right. Uh, so they're going to struggle with that. It's just checking out who's going to actually function where because they do have a lot of guys who can play football. Nick Vigil can play football. You know, I like Dawson. So – they have guys who can play ball, but where are they going to function? And a lot of those guys look very similar. So there's not a lot of diversity on that team from style of play. I think you, you could slide guys down one notch. You know, I like perfect a lot. I think he's best suited as a Mike backer mentor. I think can play the Sam. I'm a big fan of Nick vigil. And I, you know, this Utah state program has produced some really solid football players over the last five years, Bobby Wagner, Vigil is another one that, that filled in after Bobby Wagner left. Tyler Lawson, we saw step in uh, late last season for Carolina and was an anchor at the center position. 
and uh, you look at the guy out in Detroit, Nevin Lawson, um, the corner, the short corner, another baller out there. So defensively, I can trust Utah State prospects. Now, like Vigil, I think he can do it well on both ends of defense. So I, I like him as a backer playing that weak side. And I'm with you, Chris. Hardy Nickerson Jr., we just saw him down at the East-West Shrine game. He was one of the best linebackers there. Size is not a skill. So I think if they can find ways to get those guys in place, they can get what they need. But that's going to be the biggest question mark heading into the season. And, I mean, I think I think another big question mark for the Bengals is that, you know, we all know that in the regular season they can get the job done, but they've had no postseason success. Is that lack of postseason success a product of coaching? You know, I'm going to say to an extent, yes. And it just I, I go back to that to that final game against against the Steelers, where you had just I, I mean Vontae's he has to play with more discipline. Pacman Jones, Adam Jones cannot get penalized. You know he 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 cannot, and, and you can't have those things that that happen and that put them in position or put the Steelers that is in position to kick the game winning field goal. So I, I think from a discipline pers- perspective, you know, uh, it's definitely on the coaching. Uh, you guys know I'm not the biggest fan of Marvin Lewis anyway, so <laughs> I, I'm naturally going to lean towards it being his fault. Yeah, you know, I hate to say it. Um, you know, you can win a lot of games in football just by remaining disciplined. You know, a lot of times that's all you have to do, and the end result can be a win. Uh, and I feel like, Perennially, uh, this team has failed in waning moments of games to just keep their calm, remain disciplined. And I think that that's ignoring certain things throughout the course of a season, letting it slide. And then when you get in those critical moments, it comes back to bite you. And that happens every single year. And unfortunately, I think the the lack of playoff success, you, you have to look at the coaching staff and say, you know what, you know, maybe this isn't the guy to, to, he's brought us to a great place. Now we need somebody else to bring us over the top. And it's unfortunate because I do want to see Marvin Lewis have that postseason success, but I just don't feel like it's, it's going to happen. I don't think it's in the cards. You know what? I think it is part of coaching. And I look at the Bengals. The Bengals are almost like the LSU of the NFL. (laughs) Three year stretch when they might've had the best draft in the NFL. It was like 2011, 12, 13. And what happened? You could see it every week that they were superior sometimes to their opponent, and then they would just do something silly, and you're like, okay, no, it's the regular season. Don't worry about it. And then you get to the postseason, it was easy to blame Andy Dalton, and sometimes with good reason. But there was no excuse because A.J. McCarron is not Andy Dalton, and A.J. McCarron was not the reason that they lost against the Steelers a couple of years ago. You know, it comes down to this. Players reflect coaching. And while Marvin Lewis might be respected by those players, it doesn't show. Period. Yeah, for me, he reminds me a lot of Jim Moore during his time with the Saints. You know, prior to Jim Moore, the Saints were the laughing stock of the league. They were they, they stunk it up, you know, had the aints with the bags and blah, blah, blah. And we all are old enough and football savvy enough to remember what the Bengals were like after – uh, the Boomer Esiason era, I, th- I want to say, what, 91? And up until they got Jeff Blake, even during the Jeff Blake era, the Bengals were not good at all. And so to get Marvin Lewis, um, his first year they go 8-8, eight and eight, and that was like a huge victory for Cincinnati. 
And then he made them a perennial contender, got them to the playoffs seven times. So I think it's tough. And I remember this being in New Orleans, growing up in New Orleans, when Jim Moore started to have those seasons toward the end of his tenure there, you know, the Saints would start off 5-0, and everybody get excited, and then they end up 8-8 eight and eight or 7-9. and nine. So it got to a point where, you know, you this was the guy you held on to because he brought you to your first playoff games in franchise history, had the Dome Patrol, had some of the best years in Saints history uh, up to that point. And so it was tough to get rid of him, but you reach a point where you think you sort of plateau to where you are as a, as a franchise. And I think the Bengals have reached that point because I mean, granted he's been there 14 years and they've only had four losing seasons, but they haven't won any playoff games in seven tries. So I think that's the issue right now with Cincinnati and it falls directly on the shoulders of Marvin Lewis. I hate to say it, but he has to do it this season. And, and Gene, before you put a bow on it, Let me just kind of wrap up what I meant by the Bengals of the LSU of the NFL. Consistently, you saw just what amounts to non-winning coaching late in those games, whether it was time management, whether it was just a blown assignment after not blowing an assignment the entire game. You saw these little fractures that happened. and You had to start to question, well, Les Miles won all these games and he wins these games, but you really should be competing for national championships. And it's because of the incomplete coaching that happens in these big situations. And that's the same thing that happens with the Bengals. I'm inclined to agree with all of you guys. I, 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 I'm not a, I'm not a Marvin Lewis hater. I wouldn't say I'm the biggest fan of his, but I respect the fact that he's um, carried himself with a level of integrity um, for a, a team that, um, that has had players who don't seem to um, do the same. Um, I agree with with Chris that if they respect their coach, they have a really shitty way of showing it. Excuse me. Um, But we're really looking at the opportunity um, for the Bengals to take that next step. And I I think if they don't take it this year, that you could be looking at the end of um, the Marvin Lewis era. You know, I want to say this, and Emory, you said it, and I'm going to say it once again. All of us on on the panel right now, Marvin Lewis has not coached a team to a, a play any more playoff wins than any of us on this panel. So you're doing right. It's his fault, man. It, that's that's just the bottom <laughs> line. I'm not going to sugarcoat that one. So that being said, Andy Dalton, he's a guy that is a darling, you know, among the national media. Do you guys feel like the national media overrate him by, by putting him or holding him on the pedestal that they do? Personally, I've seen actually a lot of criticism of, uh, of Andy Dalton. Uh, you know, they talk about his inability or, or you know, his lack of arm strength um, a, a lot. I, I hear that a lot in the national media, but I also think that a lot is assumed. Uh, when it comes to Andy Dalton, because he, you know, it came in there and he had success early on in his career. Um, you know, I, I think it's assumed that he doesn't have many deficiencies and he gets to the, the Bengals to the brink of the playoffs or the playoffs every single year. And, but when it comes down to it, I, I just, I think that Andy Dalton, um, his, he's reached a ceiling. Uh, you, you know what Andy Dalton is, you know what you're getting. Um, and there's, 
he's he's just he's an average quarterback. Um, you know, you could do a lot worse than Andy Dalton, but you know, really, you know, who do you have right now who can replace him and do any better? Um, so I think right now the Bengals are in a little bit of quarterback purgatory. There's really not anything they can do to improve upon that position right now, and Andy Dalton's just going to have to be your guy. Yeah, and I actually am inclined to agree with you. I think that there was one season when he might have been overrated after some early success, uh, but there's two things I look at. I look at the contract that a team gives a quarterback, and they give him a very team-friendly contract, so they clearly didn't believe that he was that guy for the future. Uh, an easy contract to get from out underneath of. And I look at the replacement possibility. I think Andy Dalton has proven to be that guy who's floats anywhere from number 16 and number 20 in the NFL as a quarterback. And he's average. He's another Kirk Cousins. He's another guy. He's a Jag. Right. Uh, I do think that they have a better option because while Andy Dalton is solid and solid keeps the train moving, I think Adrian McCarron has – uh, those things called stones. And they might want to try the young man out to see what they really have in the situation because that's what you need. To me, that's, that's how you win games. You don't win games playing it safe and, and, and being a regular guy. You have to actually have the intestinal fortitude to come through in big-time situations. See, I, I like Andy Dalton, man. I, I remember him back at TCU, and I think he's a guy that, that he's not scared. And I, I, I feel bad for him because I thought – their best chance to get that playoff victory was in 2015 when he got hurt. You know, he was playing some of his best football uh, that season and, and ends up getting hurt. And, uh, you know, they had to count on A.J. McCarron the rest of the way. But overall, I think he's a, a guy that can get the job done. But in the playoffs, when it counts the most, when you need guys to step up and play big, you need guys to not miss those free throws. He only threw one touchdown in four playoff games and six interceptions. So he definitely, in big games, hasn't stepped up. So that essentially, in my opinion, makes him Alex Smith. So, yes, you know, I think he's rated right where he is. I think he's about that 15th to 16th best quarterback in the NFL. But there's, you know, there's room to do better if you're Cincinnati. But where do you get that guy in the draft? I think Andy Dalton is is the definition of – the incumbent college starter that you keep trying to recruit someone to be better than every year. And every year he just barely beats out that person that you recruited to be better than him. Um, I think Andy Dalton is a, is an okay quarterback. I don't think Andy Dalton is an embarrassment to himself. He, he CJ, you're right. He did sign a team friendly deal, but, it looks like he's going to cash that entire deal. So really, was it team-friendly? I don't really know um, because they paid him a lot of money if he sees the end of that deal. For me, I think that he's not overrated. Um, I think that when he was doing really, really well, people were putting him at a level that he deserved. And then when he regressed, I think that they they, they, they took away the praise and, and, and just as quickly. Um, I don't. I actually think that he hasn't. He hasn't lived up to what he showed. He had an ability to be, especially in the regular season, in the postseason. And for me, that's been a disappointment because while we all say it's Marvin Lewis's fault, Emory just put a stat up that everybody else would say it's the quarterback's fault. 
if we weren't talking about Marvin Lewis. Yeah, I mean, I could respect that. And just to kind of further expand upon that stat, I mean, in what four games looking here, he he has six interceptions, and I, you know, he had a two 2011 game, three interceptions. So I I can see what you're saying there. I just I don't think that he gets enough criticism for his bad performance in in the playoffs. So that's where I, I wanted to ask that question and see what you guys thought about. Now, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Listen, numbers, I always say numbers always lie. But in this case, we remember these games vividly. This is not revisionist history. We saw him go out there and lose to TJ Yates in yeah. uh, the Houston Texans when the Bengals clearly were the better team. So that's where he has to get better because, what, 46%, 56%, 51% completion percentage? You're not getting the job done in the playoffs. And, you know, to me, exactly. That, that's where you want to see somebody get it done. And that's a nice little lead into can the Bengals get it done or where do you see these guys getting it done in the AFC North, starting with you, Teron? Well, I'll, I'll say the Bengals. I, I see them finishing second. I, I think the Steelers, are, you know, are, are just what, what they have coming back. I think they're just too much, and they'll win the division. But I have them finishing second, and they could definitely get a wild card berth. But we just talked about <laughs> what happens in the playoffs, so it really doesn't even matter if they get there because they're just going to lose anyway. Well, yeah, and I, I definitely I have them second um, myself, and I, I think that you know the the, the Steelers are far and away, um, in my opinion, going to be the favorite, but. Uh, you know, the Bengals, they'll have a solid regular season, as they always do, and they'll fall short in the playoffs. And I have them second. I actually think it's pretty close at the top. The thing with the Bengals is I think they've only really won the division once when it was a competition, and that was when they were running away with in 2015 till the Andy Dalton injury. I need to see more consistency. Otherwise, I would have them ahead of the Steelers, but I do have them second in the, in the division. I'm with all you guys. I think it's the Steelers, um, Toulouse, and the Bengals. Um, can push them if, if they have things fall the right way. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I think that the Steelers and the Bengals will be one, two with the Browns coming up third. So that'll put a nice little bow on this particular preview for the Cincinnati Bengals. That's it for this episode of the Football Cypher. Make sure you subscribe to our uh, podcast on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And for Chris, Gene, Brandon, and Teron, I am Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook. And this has been a football cipher on the Football Game Plan Podcast Network. <laughs>